the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we join Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in a study of the book of Leviticus. God has been giving the ceremonial laws to Moses for the Israelites. We have gone over the various offerings and sacrifices Aaron and the priests would administer in the nation's worship of God. We have seen that there were certain animals, diseases, and situations that made a person unclean and therefore unable to join the congregation for worship. We saw God implement the Day of Atonement, a day that God's presence would come into the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle and meet with the high priest. Now we will see God giving commands for how the people would lead holy and different lives in their daily life. We join Pastor Will in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 1. In 1967, Paul, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, but Anka, wrote the lyrics for the song My Way, which became popular when sung by Frank Sinatra in 1969. The song spent 75 weeks in the UK, top 40, a record which still stands today. That's interesting because the lyrics are, by Sinatra's own admission, a self-indulgent and quite proud. The last stanza, it says this, For what is a man... What has he got? If not himself, then he has not. To say the things he truly feels, and here's interesting, and not the words of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blows and did it my way. That's somebody's life song. They got one more blow coming. Later on in 2000, John Bon Jovi helped pen the song that was very famous, It's My Life. And he made reference to this song, you know, how Frankie did it his way and whatnot. And it's funny when people asked, you know, did you think this song would be really popular? And he said, I didn't really expect it to be that popular, but it resonates with a lot of people because there are times you just got to take control of your life. I don't know about you. Anytime I try to take control of things, I realize how out of control I am. Does that ever really work? It doesn't really work. So is that true? Should we do it our way? Is it true that what is a man, what is he God, if not himself, and he has not? To say the things he truly feels instead of the words of one who kneels? To just take the blows, do it your way, come what may, live the life that you have in front of you, right? Is that true? Certainly not. And just as we looked at last week where the high priest couldn't just casually serve God by walking into the Holy of Holies whenever he wanted, the person who lived in Israel couldn't casually worship God however they wanted. It had to be done God's way. That's a principle that applies to everything we do, whether it's worship, achieving success, or how we approach sex, our three topics tonight. So whatever someone else is selling you, no matter how much sense it might make, It isn't what's best for you if it isn't God's way. So Leviticus 17, verse 1, and the first thing we're going to look at is God's place of worship. Chapter 17, verse 1, the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron, and unto his sons, and unto all the children of Israel, and say unto them, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded, saying, What man soever be of the house of Israel that kills an ox, or a lamb, or a goat, in the camp, or that kills it outside of the camp, And brings it not under the door of the tabernacle of the congregation to offer an offering unto the Lord before the tabernacle of the Lord. Well, blood shall be imputed unto that man. 
He has shed blood, and that man shall be cut off from among his people. Here we find out in verses 1 and 2 that what Moses is about to hear from the Lord, this is a command for everybody. It's for Aaron, it's for the people, it's for everybody. But it's interesting, Aaron is listed first here because maybe he might be tempted to feel exempt by his position. Oh, I'm the high priest, you know, maybe this doesn't apply to me. It's interesting, God doesn't give leaders more leniency. The scriptures tell us he holds them more responsible, right? James chapter 3, verse 1, it says, let there not be many teachers or instructors or leaders among you. Why? For you shall receive the greater judgment. You know, to whom much is given, much is what? Much is required. And that's how it is. Sometimes when people come to me and they say, I want to be in ministry, particularly full-time ministry. I ask them, I say, well, what else do you like to do? (laughs) Because if you can do it and be happy, you should. Because you're going to have a greater responsibility before the Lord if you decide to say, I want to do this. I'm going to end up being responsible to lead people. Any type of leadership position, there's going to be greater responsibility. So he tells Aaron first, hey, this is for you too, but it's for everybody else as well. So what's the command? Well, all offerings had to be presented at the tabernacle. You couldn't just go out and have a family worship service in the backyard and sacrifice an ox and eat it. That was not how it was allowed to be. It says, whatsoever man be, verse three, that is of the house of Israel that kills an ox or a lamb or a goat, whether it's in the camp or he kills it outside of the camp, it doesn't matter to me. I don't care if you're on vacation, but you don't bring it under the door of the tabernacle of the congregation to offer an offering unto the Lord before the tabernacle of the Lord. Blood or literally blood guilt shall be imputed unto that man. He has shed blood. And as a result, that man shall be cut off from among his people. Is God saying that every meal had to be brought as an offering to the Lord? Talk about Sundays being a busy day. Every day would be a real busy day. Well, it's about two hours down to Jerusalem, going down to the tabernacle. You know, we just want to have lunch, but that's what we do. That's not the case. We're going to see in later verses that the animal killing here is an offering. And what the Lord's saying is if you're going to kill an animal for an offering, you don't just get to have like family worship out in the backyard. If it's going to be an offering, it needs to be my way, which means it needs to be brought to the tabernacle. Now, why would that be? I'm going to get a little bit of a soapbox here, so forgive me. I have been doing this for almost 21 years now. And I won't claim to think I know what I'm doing. I won't claim to think I have all the answers. But I have seen what happens, and I'm obviously preaching to the choir tonight. But I have seen what happens when people don't make church or fellowship with other believers outside of your family a priority. And the reason I know it doesn't work is because God in his word says, don't do that. (laughs) Worship at home, that's great. But you need to be a part of a local fellowship too. You need to be a part of a place where where God's going to speak to you when your guard's a little bit down, where you don't have an expectation, where other people can speak into your lives and you can speak into their lives. We need that. And I have seen time and time again when someone says, well, we've had a bad church experience, so we just worship at home. It never works out. It never works out. What happens is it's just a slow backslide is what it is because you're being disobedient to God and you can't move forward when you're in deliberate disobedience to the Lord. God calls us out of our comfort zone. He calls us into a place where maybe we will be hurt and where maybe it won't be exactly as we like it and it won't be perfect. And there'll be people there that we don't actually like everything they do. People that aren't exactly like us and don't exactly see every little thing like us. Iron sharpening iron in a good way, you know? We need that. See, the Lord says this needs to be done my way because if you don't do this my way, it's not gonna really be any benefit to it. There's an important point here. All these offerings, they pointed forward to the cross. These offerings need to be exclusive, special, unique, because Jesus is the only way of salvation. Worship is not, well, I just worship God my way. You've probably heard me say that a lot, and so I won't belabor worship my way. is isn't really worship because it's my way. (laughs) The very nature of worship means it's his way. 
And worship is for the Lord. It's not for us. It's not so we can go out and we can sit in our backyard and have a Bible study and roast marshmallows and say we worship Jesus when that's all we do. Now, if that's a supplement, and hopefully you have times where you have family conversations, where you're in the word and times where you pray together and and you worship the Lord, that's great. You should do that. But we also need to do it God's way, which is to come here into a place where he says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. It's very easy to get into that mindset because we're hurt or we're frustrated or, or things aren't going our way or sometimes just the enemy's beating us up. Worship is for the Lord, not us. The word in the New Testament for worship, it means to kiss toward. It would describe what happened when you would do obeisance to a superior and you would come and you would get on your hands and knees and bow to the ground and you would kiss. You wouldn't actually kiss the ground, but you would make the sound like you're kissing the ground. And the idea is, I'm, I'm so blessed to be here in your presence. You are, you are my sovereign or you are my leader. And obviously in the case of our God, you're my God, my savior, my first love. It's a place of vulnerability, a place of humility, a place of surrender, even as we sang tonight. I love that song, I Surrender, for those lyrics. Here I am, down on my knees again, surrendering all, surrendering all. The arms stretch wide. I'm completely vulnerable, God. You've got me. If you want to get me underneath the ribs, I'm totally vulnerable right now. But I trust you. I'm surrendered to you. The idea of that song I love because it really pictures what worship is. It's a place of vulnerability, humility, and surrender. Sometimes I hear people say, I don't like to worship. And what they mean is I don't like to sing. Maybe they're not expressive or they don't like music. I don't know anybody that doesn't like music per se, but maybe in a public environment, they don't like music. Whatever it might be, I don't like coming to church to sing. I don't like singing these songs. I hear other times I hear people say, well, I don't like worship at our church or this church or this ministry or whatever. And while I sympathize with personality and style preferences, I am very picky about my music, okay? It's probably not a good idea to give me a rap CD, okay? Just probably not a good idea. I'm not saying there's nothing out there that I might ever like, but it's very likely I'm not going to listen to it. So I am very picky about my music, and I imagine you are too. So I'm sympathetic with style preference, but the truth is it's not about what you and me like. It's not for you. I've been in very traditional church environments where we just sing very old hymns. And I love them, man. The lyrics are great, aren't they? I love them. I sing to them and I can belt them out. As long as everybody's worshiping the Lord with all their heart, I'm right there with them. I'm good. It doesn't matter to me. But at the same time, I can hear the newest song by the new Passion album, whatever. And I hear a couple songs. My son was sharing a song with me this morning on the new Passion album. The whole thing is scripture. And I'm in the car driving here to church and I'm just thinking, church has already started, man. I was just so blessed by this. the words and my heart was just crying crying out as I'm listening to the words and singing alongside. I'm thinking, that's right where my heart's at right now. It really doesn't matter to me because it's not about me. It's not for me. It's not about what I like. That's why it's called a sacrifice of praise. Bev doesn't ever make steak and go, it's a sacrifice of praise. Because everybody likes it. It's not a sacrifice. It's like, oh, we have to eat steak tonight. On the other hand, if I go somewhere and they give me cauliflower... Eating is going to be a sacrifice. (laughs) It's called a sacrifice of praise because something's dying in the process. That's what a sacrifice is. You, you're dying in the process. I always used to laugh because I came from an old, Well, that's not fair. It wasn't a Pentecostal church, but it had some Pentecostal tendencies. It was the weirdest church ever. It was a Baptist Pentecostal church, which is like jumbo shrimp. It's just oxymoron. They sang all the old Assemblies of God songs from the 80s. So we get up there, we bring a sacrifice of praise into the house. Anybody know that one? All right, all right, okay. But they were so happy, man. I mean, they couldn't clap fast enough because we bring a sacrifice. I'm like, nobody's happy about sacrifice. Something's dying, me. (laughs) I thought, I don't think they understand it. (laughs) But see, here's the thing. We make worship about us 
It removes the relational aspect with God. When an Israelite would go and offer a sacrifice without bringing it to the tabernacle, they were ripping a part of worship away. It simply became a ritual to please themselves. Look at verse five. God explains the reasons why. There's two of them. He says, to the end that the children of Israel may bring their sacrifices, which they offer in the open field. Hey, if you're out in the field and you just think, man, I'm so grateful for all God's done. Come here, Bessie. You don't just do it there. And I'm so thankful the Lord's done. And you take her and you bring her on in and be like, you know what? I'm just thankful to the Lord. My ox is a peace offering. And then you bring the Lord into it where, where he's ministering to you, you're ministering to him and you're fellowshipping together. It's not just about you. And so he says that to the end of the children of Israel may bring their sacrifices, which they offer in the open field, even that they may bring them unto the Lord, unto a person. So that wasn't unto a building or unto a ritual, but unto a person, unto the door of the tabernacle, of the congregation and unto the priest. And he'll offer them there for peace offerings unto the Lord. And the priest then shall sprinkle the blood upon the altar of the Lord and the door of the tabernacle, of the congregation and burn the fat there as a sweet fragrance, a sweet savor unto the Lord. Now the idea is we talked about went through the offerings, the meat's burning on the altar and it smells good and you're eating the meat yourself and, and you're just hanging out with the Lord. They didn't go to the tabernacle. It was removing that entire element. God created man to bless him by the relationship they would have together. You ever wonder how God could call a man like David? He's a man after my own heart. Like, if you look at their record, Saul's a better guy. Really? Did Saul ever cheat on his wife? No. Did Saul ever cheat with his best friend's wife? No. That's who Uriah was. He's in the list of David's mighty men. He's one of his best friends. David was a horrible father. I mean, Saul wasn't father of the year either. David was a flawed man. But whereas Saul was a man who was rejected by God, David is described as a man after God's own heart. Why? David got it. Look at Psalm 32 with me. When we're done with that, we'll move to Psalm 27. But in Psalm 32, David, after he's been restored to fellowship with God from his sin with Bathsheba, he utters these beautiful words. He says, blessed, oh, how happy is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed, oh, how happy is the man unto whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and whose spirit there is no guile. I was living a lie for a year. And he describes what he felt like. He says, when I kept silence, when I didn't make my confession to God, he said, when I was staying away from the Lord, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. I felt like I was dying inside. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me and my moisture was turned to the drought of summer. My whole life just dried up. And if you've ever been away from the Lord or hard-hearted or whatever it might be, you know what that's like. David said, man, I was, I was happy. <laughs> I was happy to just confess it to the Lord and, and get, it, get it done with because I could spend time with my God again. In Psalm 27, 4, David, the man after God's own heart, the flawed man after God's own heart, said, one thing have I desired of the Lord. That's what I will seek after. And what was it? That I may be dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life so I can behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. I can pray to him, talk to him, spend time with him in the temple. God created us for that. I mean, is there anything sweeter than sitting at the Lord's feet, hearing his voice and knowing his love? We had a beautiful time at our men's conference this weekend and sometimes just sitting there and hearing the word brought forth. We're all there and stuff, but there's, there's that moment where, and, and there are many moments like that where the Lord is just, you hear him speaking to you. And you're just sitting and listening. He's telling you how much he loves you and his heart toward you and, and what he wants to do. And you just sit there and you go, I don't want to go anywhere else. 
That's what Peter and John and James were like. Can we stay here? Remember on the Mount of Transfiguration? We like to stay here the whole time. Let's just start the whole take over the world campaign here. But we'll make three tents. You know, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and, and we'll be the administrator. There was a reason for Even though Peter was a knucklehead and he's way off base, he still got the point. I'd like to stay here. I'd like to be with this guy. I want to be with Jesus. Isn't that what's special about our times of gathering together in song and in scripture and in fellowship that we feel his presence? In addition to experiencing the joy of spending time with the Lord and with his people, this worship policy, it also protected them from subtle forms of idolatry. Look at verse seven. This was the second reason God wanted them to do it this way. He says, and they shall no more offer their sacrifices unto devils after whom they have gone a whoring. This shall be a statute forever unto them throughout their generations. Many in the East believed that goat demons existed in the wild to destroy crops and livestock. I don't know if people believe that today. I haven't seen too many goat demon wardings around, but maybe they do. Egypt, Persia, and India in particular record sacrifices that would placate these demons. And God didn't want Israel following that example. They were very familiar with it in Egypt, where they'd make these things to ward off or these sacrifices to ward off the demons. You know, kind of our modern-day scarecrow has some similarities to that idea. We had one place where our church was meeting at one point. By the trash can, they had these uh, owls were perched or something were perched on there. And it was to keep away the, the scavengers and stuff like that. But those, they scared the daylights out of me every time. The idea is similar, that they would make these offerings and these sacrifices out in the field to ward off the goat demons. And worship could sometimes kind of become that for us. Oh God, you know, I'm, I'm going to lift my hands up to you now because then I know you'll save my marriage. You'll have to save my marriage because I'm, I'm lifting up my hands. Or I'm going to go to church tonight because then I'll have to have a good week at work and I'll get that promotion. Like we can very easily begin to think we're placating God through our prayer life or through singing or for physical expressions of worship. And then because we've done this, God has to keep us from harm or, or prosper us. And that isn't worship at all. We should sing and pray and come to church and kneel or raise our hands because we want to express our love to him, right? And when we try to put God in our debt by our religious behavior, it's no different than offering a sacrifice to ward off the demon goat of famine or bad coworkers. So the penalty for disobedience, verse 8, And you shall say unto them, Whatsoever man there be of the house of Israel, and not just them, any, even the stranger, the foreigner, the non-Jew, who is sojourning among you, that offers a burnt offering or a sacrifice, and they don't bring it unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation to offer it unto the Lord, even that man shall be cut off from among his people. I love all throughout the Old Testament law that God presumes that Israel's faith in life is going to appeal to foreigners. Like, I love that. Like, he constantly makes mention of the stranger who's among you. Because his intent and presumption is that Israel's faith and life is going to appeal to foreigners. That they're going to look and go, man, you're different. There's something different about you. And hopefully people see that in us, too. Because that's God's presumption with us, too. That we are the light of the world. That we're to let our light shine. You know, his design from the beginning was for Israel to be a light to the world. And now, of course, that's, that's our job. And so, you know, are you being a light to the world? You know, as we talked about this morning, to be a light to the world, you have to be in the world. <laughs> you can't be a hermit. And maybe you might say, well, I'm not a hermit. I just, you know, there's some people I'm not talking to, though. They believe wacky stuff. Well, all the more reason to be a light, then. The light's a little bit clearer when it's in a darker place, right? Yes, it's scary. When the power's out, you've got to walk around the house trying to find candles and stuff. You know, I hear every noise, and you think there's like 18 people robbing you. But just because it's scary doesn't mean God doesn't want to use you. God wants to use you. You know, it's the command to every Christian to go out and make disciples. And we do that first by preaching the gospel to every creature. 
We often associate worship with music, and I think it's important to, to address this because there's nothing wrong with that. But in the end, worship is not about music. Worship is about obedience. We're worshiping God when we're serving our spouse or spending time with our kids, you know, quality time. We're worshiping God when we're serving, when, when we share the gospel. We're worshiping God when the enemy tempts us, but we choose to obey God instead. All that is worship. And a lot of times it's just embodied in our songs. The thing is, you can be a person who sings their heart out or who sits reverentially or who jumps up and down in excitement during times of music. But if you're being unkind to people afterwards, then I would dare say the time of singing had a lot more to do with you feeling spiritual rather than worshiping Almighty God. You can't come in here, raise your hands high and be like, oh yeah, Jesus, you're everything, I love you. And then you go out and somebody doesn't smile at you and you're like, hmm, I guess they don't love the Lord, you know, and go walk off. You have totally not worshiped, okay? <laughs> it's interesting because the enemy's gonna test you every time you come to church. And you know, because I know some of you got in a fight on the way home from church this morning with your spouse. So he's going to test you. And the question is, is we go, okay, I do this to my kids. I say, what did you learn today? And of course they give you facts, right? You know, it's now the newsreel. We learned about da, 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 da. And sometimes, and I'm always excited when they say, yeah, I need to be nicer to my brothers or, you know, I need to be a better friend or whatever. And I'm like, oh, praise the Lord. You know, they, they got an application that, there is really on their heart. But I usually have to follow up with the question, okay, so what did you learn though? Like, what did, what do you, how are you gonna apply it to your life? It's cool when you hear that and you're like, okay, so it's in there and let's work on that and keep at it. Because then that's surrender, then that's worship. We can't say we worshiped if there's nothing dying, you know? <laughs> but when we leave and we gave something to the Lord, then whether you sat quietly or whether you were all over the place, then it was truly worship. In John four twenty four. Jesus, when confronted about a stylistic difference of worship by the woman at the well, said, well, you, you Jews say we should worship down in Jerusalem, but you know, us Samaritans say we should worship here in Mount Gerizim. You, know, you can't figure all this stuff out, so you know, I just you know, kind of, I don't pick a church. And, and you know, Jesus looked at her and said, God is a spirit. He's not like you and me. And he is seeking those who will worship him. He wants you to worship him. But those that worship him have to worship him in spirit and in truth. We worship God's way, God's way. Worship is about personal surrender, giving God glory and living in obedience to him. And so however expressive or however reserved you may be, may that be what's taking place in your heart as we sing songs, as we study the Bible and we go out to live our Christian lives, amen? So that's God's place of worship. And it can be in a building or anywhere else in the sense that what's going on in our hearts is what should be the right place. Fellowshipping with him and being yielded to him and trusting him. Next in verse 10, we see God's path for success. So God's place of worship, now God's path for success. He says, and whatsoever man there be of the house of Israel or of the strangers that sojourn among you that eats any manner of blood, I will even set my face against that soul that eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. Now it was common in the East to drink the blood or eat the raw meat of an animal that was killed on the hunt. It was considered actually a spiritual transaction between the gods who provided the animal for the hunt and man who became worthy by virtue of securing the kill. You know, it was like the, the, God, the gods would drop the animal in front of you and now you had to slay it. And if you were worthy enough to slay it, well, the transaction was complete and now the gods owed you something. And so upon consuming the blood or the raw meat, the, one would derive the benefit of the animal's soul, uh, giving you supernatural strength, wisdom, or 
revelation into the future. And, and this became, a lot of times for these guys, a guarantee of success for, their, for you know, their future business affairs or for harvesting their crops or for love interests. And while we might hear that and consider it silly, you know, people sacrifice many important things to secure success today, don't they? A lot of things. Things that are just as alive as, as a hunted animal. And you know what God says? He goes, I don't want you doing that because the life of the flesh is in the blood and I've given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls for it is the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. Therefore, I said unto the children of Israel, no soul of you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger that sojourns among you eat blood. All life is precious to God and therefore the taking of an animal should be for food, clothing or other necessities and it, and it was only to be done in a religious ritual sense for one reason, to atone for sin, to atone for sin. The word for life here, it's the same word that is used for soul in the Hebrew. Um, now God isn't saying that our soul resides in our blood. What he's saying is you can tell a soul is present in the body as the, because the blood is pumping through it. When that stops happening, well, then the body dies, showing that the soul has left. So the association there is life is in the blood. All life is precious to God, and he's saying, if you're going to hunt, hey, that's great. Have it be for food. Have it be for clothing or other necessities in life. Or if you're going to use the animal as an offering to me, that's fine too. But I always want you to associate blood. I want you to associate that with atonement. God calls his people to be holy as he is holy. This is only done through accepting and believing in Jesus' finished work on the cross, dying in our place. We can't be holy on our own. But one day, we will be in God's presence, standing face to face, hearing His voice, what we were always created for. If you have any spiritual or physical need, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.